This episode of the People of PCPS is brought to you through the generous support of Joe Fisher's office at Mid-State Educators Insurance. For more information, visit insurepolk.com. Welcome to the People of PCPS, a Polk County Public Schools podcast. This podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of teachers, paraeducators, support staff, students, volunteers, alumni, and all the people who contribute to Polk County Public Schools. Whether they're working in the school district, learning in our classrooms, or using their education to improve our community, the people are what make Polk County Public Schools great. Let's get to know our colleagues, our students, our neighbors, and our friends, the people of PCPS. Hi everyone, my name is Rachel Pleasant. I'm the Senior Director of Communications here at Polk County Public Schools, and welcome to the People of PCPS. This is a podcast that we created just to get to know the people of our great organization and learn more about their stories and find out about what they contribute to our school district because we believe it's the people who make this a great place to to work and learn. And um, we are very happy to have with us today, Danny Higgins, who works with our migrant student program. Yes. Danny, remind me of your actual title. So I'm a migrant interventionist with the Title I Migrant Program, which is under, obviously, Title I, but we're Title I Part C. So I'm very excited to have you here today because you deal with a, um, you work every day with a segment of our student population that many people just don't, it doesn't never, never registers for them. They have no idea what it's like to be a migrant student and the challenges that come with that. And um, and you're there every day. So you're going to teach us all a lot about, about the students that you serve. So tell me just real quick before we go into your day-to-day work, why did you want to work with migrant students? Why was this something that called to you? Well, as a young teacher, when I started out with Polk County Schools, which is in 2002, so um, I just really wanted to be an advocate for students. And that's something that I felt very strongly about. And I also really liked working with underserved students. And so I learned that early on was a passion of mine. And when I saw that there was a position open working with the migrants as a migrant advocate, I said, this is a perfect job for me. And um, I've been in this position for 16 years, um, working with predominantly the same population. I love it. So I think it was a perfect fit. So you had no um, history of working with migrant students specifically, but you just wanted to help students who needed extra help in some way. Is that right? Exactly. I just love the idea of being an advocate. And I think that some people really need advocacy, especially those who may not be able to speak up for themselves, and they need that extra additional support to stand in. So, So, again, many of us have no no (laughs) knowledge whatsoever of the program or, or what the you know, what life is like for our migrant students. So just give us a big, an overview real quickly of the program, how many students you're serving and what kind of services you're providing. Okay, so the migrant program was created to help overcome challenges that are specific to the needs of migrant students and who can be very disadvantaged. And that was something, so this is a federal program that they have in every state. Um, And basically what our program does is try to overcome challenges that are, predominantly around mobility. These students have frequent school interruptions. Many of them leave early in the school year to to harvest crops in other states, their families. And so I just want to also define migrant student because there is, you know, some people think differently, but we are talking about farm workers. These are migrant and seasonal farm workers that travel um, out of state or across district lines to obtain agricultural work. So most of my families that I serve in this area are in Mulberry. Um, They come during about October 
um, October, November in the fall, and they work different crops, predominantly in our area, tomatoes and strawberries, but we also have shorter seasons with blueberries and melons and things like that. But oftentimes the families also leave early in the school year before the end of the school year to go up north. And so that kind of mobility can cause um, school interruption. It can cause students to fall behind. It can cause high school students to lose credits. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And so the migrant education program basically is to help with those challenges with that mobility, but also language barriers. Many of our families um, are Spanish-speaking parents, and sometimes our students, especially at the elementary level. And, um, and additional things that migrant families can face, like social isolation. They live in very rural areas. And as you can imagine, with the pandemic, it's even been more socially isolated. Um, and and also with just poverty, families living in poverty. These are um, people that live oftentimes below the poverty line. So those are just some things that the program was created to kind of help those students to be um, on grade level, help them meet those um, requirements to graduate. And um, I think we do this through supplemental um, supports like academic support. It could be tutoring. It can be um, during the school year. And we also have funds to provide academic support during the summer. So we're just kind of like the extra. So you work daily with migrant students and their families. And, you know, the theme of this conversation is kind of like, you know, help us help us know more about their lives. So can you just kind of paint me a picture? Like, what is it like to be a migrant? What's a day in the life? What are some of the scenes that you see when you go out to the migrant communities and you're working with these families? Like, just help it, help it come to life for us. I think I see people who work really, really hard. But um, it's, it's a struggle. Like, you see poverty. And I think a lot of people don't really understand poverty. And so um, they don't understand just how hard it is to get by. Like, just how hard things that may not be a barrier for us or may not be something that would be a hurdle, um, they are really difficult. Um, and the pandemic recently has brought, has just exasperated those problems even more. But I think that my students, what people don't understand, I, I do work at the high school, out of uh, Mulberry High School, is that many of these students also work and not just, uh, you know, working at a store 15 hours a week. Some of these students work in labor jobs, construction, farm work. I mean, if there is a job to be had, they are doing it. And so and I think that's been really hard since last March when many of these students took on more of a financial burden from their families just because of need that these students were not only doing schoolwork, but then they're helping pay the bills for their families. And so just the amount of work, you know, um, I laugh about it now, but in March when schools closed, for example, and, you know, a lot of the students were like, oh, we get to go home. We had an extra week at spring break. Not my students. My students were in the fields. My student, it was hot and they're out there working. But not only that, they're also trying to balance finishing the school year. And we um, realized early on, it's, it's not really e-learning and living in a migrant camp are not very conducive. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of giving a device or even having the internet. You know, when you don't have parents that speak English or know how to read or you have multiple siblings, you have a 14-year-old watching three to four younger siblings, it's just not conducive to that home learning environment that we kind of picture in our head when we think about e-learning. And so many of my students did packets during the last uh, end of the last school year. And I remember calling them to check in on my high school students. And one of the boys, I called him up. I'm like, are you working on your packets? You have to turn them in. And, and I could tell he was working. He was outdoors. 
He said, Miss, I'm picking. I'm picking with, with my family. And I said, well, I can't get a hold of anybody. He said, well, who do you need to get a hold of? And I told him the other students. And he yelled across the field. He's like, hey, Miss Danny wants wow. to know if you're doing your packets. Wow. And um, they were just, I just love my students because no matter what, no matter how hard things are, and it can be really hard, they just overcome it. And that's yeah. what they have. I have students with the best attitude. So I can sit here and tell you, yes, it is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these kids deal with things that are just way beyond their age, way beyond you know, and just the fact that they're so resilient and so resolute and that they're just going to keep going and um, they don't make excuses. So I know I'm getting off on what we're yeah, talking I about, it, but I, I just want to say that um, I have the best students in Polk County and I'll tell anybody that because they do overcome a lot. And I think people don't see it. You know, you don't see the AP student who has um, you know, all these really rigorous classes that doesn't have internet access in the home, that lives in a single wide trailer, that has two families living in the trailer, that's writing an essay on a phone, mm-hmm. things that most teenage kids or teenage students probably wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably wouldn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been, and I think that's the reality. I mean, just knowing that, um, Things aren't really given to them. Like the, like most of the thing, most of my students really have to earn the things that mm-hmm. they have or they have to go without them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that I, I would want people to know. And that's that's not just specific to migrant. That's specific to, to students living in poverty. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so but I will say about migrant families also and parents they are the most humble, loving people that you can imagine, appreciative of everything. Um, and I've really seen that this year. Um, my job changed a lot this year just because it had to, mm-hmm. because we went into a global pandemic and it had to. So it required me to go out to homes. So I'm, you know, was very visible in the community, even from March until now. And, um, I think just the appreciation of the community. Our district has done a lot with trying to get food out to families that need it. And me being able to take that out or being able to help the families, I think it's just realizing and how I've been successful in this role is realizing those things that are kind of um, barriers to those students. Like what are what are the challenges that they actually have? Because sometimes data doesn't show that. Like Mm -hmm. when you just look at absenteeism or if you just look at you know, an ELA test that they took one day. Mm-hmm. You don't see the whole picture of that child. So, mm-hmm. so, and you said that most of your students will start here in October mm-hmm. with the tomato and strawberry crops predominantly. Mm-hmm. And then what's like the course of the year? Like where might they go next? Typically, or what was it? So Florida is a home state for migrant, like Florida, Texas, California. Those are like where they're at predominantly in the year because we have long crops. Mm-hmm. Most of the summer states that they go to are shorter seasons. So our families go all over the place. Michigan, Alabama, North Carolina, Indiana. We even had a couple families go to Washington State this year from Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the majority of my students, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, always basically all over, okay. but Michigan. And but- we tend to work with the same migrant programs up there as well. So, so. there's some sort of continuity, continuity as they move north during Correct. the different seasons. Okay. And so how long are they typically in a place at, at any one stretch? 
we spoke to a student yesterday that their families go to four states in the summer. So it just really depends on the family and the season. So this student, she's actually leaving early this year in the next week or so, going to Georgia, then going to North Carolina, then going to New Jersey, and then going to Michigan, and then coming back to Florida. So she's going all over. And that can be a real challenge for those students yeah. to even matriculate into another school. Yeah. And so that's been very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm curious about like you have all of that stacked against you mm-hmm. and just so much work. Mm-hmm. There are so many fields that need to be picked, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you ha- there is work that is not going anywhere. How do you – I would think that part of your battle and your job is – getting them to buy into you need to get your education like when it must some days seem like the least of their concerns right how do you do that how I think it took a long time like at first you know I felt like they're not going to buy into this at all you know it's 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 a culture who's this stranger this person who's not even from our community what what is she talking about But I think over the years, when you start to get those success stories that come from that community, and then you can, that's how you build the buy-in. You have to show them, this is really possible. I am not lying to you. And I'll tell you, like, I am so proud of this, but um, this is a pandemic. This is a crazy year. But yesterday, I was getting ready for decision day. And I have 16 students going to college out of 20 next year and 50 college acceptances. And this is just from these 16 kids. And I'm going to tell you, like, that's hard work. That took a lot of work from those students. I made myself available to them because you can't just work the school day. In my position, you can't work the regular school day. I have to be available at night. I have to be available on some weekends. But basically, I said, look, if you guys want to do this college application, I'm going to stay after school until 7 p.m. And they'll come. And they do it and they do the work and they'll write the essays. And so I'm really, really proud of that. And most of them are going on full scholarships next year. So it's really exciting. But I think it takes building a buy-in. And for me, we have an amazing um, student group at Mulberry, in Mulberry. And it's called Adelante, which means forward. And I think building those leaders at a younger age And by the time they're seniors, they're the role models for the ninth and 10th graders. Like they see the actual examples of people. These 16 kids are going to college. They're going on a full scholarship. We've had students go all over. Um, There's really not an excuse. When I talk to my students, I say, you don't have to go to college. You don't have to go to the military. You don't have to go to technical school. But I don't ever want you to say that you didn't have the opportunity or that you didn't know how to do it. Because if that kid has a desire to do something, I wanted them to know that there is a way. Because um, I heard a quote once, and it really just changed the way I thought. And it was, um, opportunity without support is a broken promise. And, you know, there are a lot of opportunities out there, but sometimes these students just don't know how to access it. Mm -hmm. So I think my students are willing to work hard for something that's tangible, like something that they can actually achieve. So it's not just, hey, you need to go to college. It's hey, if you want to go to college, this is how you can get there. These are the steps, and I'm going to be here the whole time. You know, I'll mail the application for you. Yeah. And so that's probably how we've been the most successful. But the students, these are the hardest working students that I've seen, both in the fields and what they do for their families, but also in in school. When you have them working on something, I, especially with, like, with college, you know, a lot of high school students would come in and we'd tell them, you have to write an essay, for this scholarship. Most of them would just turn and walk away. Mm -hmm. It's like not worth it. But my students, 
they'll sit there and write drafts. I mean, they they work on it and they they really try. And so I think that's probably been the difference. But it is about meeting them at where they are. Right. So, so we're going to talk to one of your students who's a success story in a minute. But I wanted to, could you just kind of give us um, overview, you know, name, give us a couple examples of the success stories without anything and uh, identifying, but just mm-hmm. the, the heights that these students have been able to reach coming from really tough circumstances. I mean, we've had students, I mean, Brenda Alvarez is one that a lot of people know about, and she is probably one of my favorite humans, and she's probably going to see this. Mm-hmm. And she's at Stanford right now, and she came from this background. And And I think what was so exciting about her story to me is just that this little girl that I remember, you know, since she was really little, lived in the migrant camp. It struggled just like everyone else. Um, like the first week of ninth grade, second week of ninth grade, I remember talking to her and saying, you know, you could be number one in the class at graduation as a ninth grader. But what she doesn't understand and what most people don't understand, everybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Like every single student in the school has that potential to do that. But that girl worked so hard. And so I would definitely use Brenda as Mm -hmm. a um, success story. But we've had, there's migrant students that have come from our program that have gone on to Harvard, have gone on to University of Florida, different places. But to me, I mean, those are huge success stories. But to me, the success story is the kid who was a teen parent that thought that they couldn't do anything, goes on and gets a nursing license and is a nurse. Mm -hmm. Or today, I had a student today, I just talked to my principal, I called him in and said, what are your plans? And he said, "Um, really want to go to Travis, I really want to, you know, get a degree of training in auto. Mm -hmm. I said, let me help you. And we did it. And it took about 20 minutes. And as he was leaving, he turned around and he said, I really appreciate your help. I wouldn't have gone without you. And stuff like that. I mean, we have kids in our district that it just takes like one or two people and it can change everything. So I think those are the success stories to me. Yeah. Um, Working with these students every day and you've done it for many years, it must somehow change you. How are you different today having worked with the migrant population for so many years, day in and day out? I think it changes your values. Like I think for me, the things that I used to think were really important, like when I started this job, like I wanted everyone to, let's just show them. Let's just everybody, we're going to get these, you know, high degrees and we're going to do all this. But I think now like um, I value their work ethic. I really value what they have to contribute. And one thing that I've learned from them is about teamwork. These students work as a team with their families. They're not, um, they want everyone to be successful. And that's kind of what I've learned, um, especially this year. I mean, I used to be um, GPA and, you know, like just a stickler for things with the students. But now I just kind of, I'm like, I just want you to be okay. Mm-hmm. I just want you to be happy. I want you to really, you know, be happy in what you're doing in 10 years and in five years and right now and in those things. And so I think that's changed a little, but um, it's changed what I feel is important because mm-hmm. I think those relationships are really important um, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about gratitude from them because I mean, things that are so simple um, they appreciate so much. And that's kind of addictive. Like it, you want to give to people who you feel like you're making a difference. And I don't doubt one day that I'm at work that I'm not making a difference. Right. Um, what do you think that if there's one takeaway about the migrant student population that someone listening to this gets, what would, what would you want it to be? 
just how incredible they are. Like, I mean, these are students um, that have just gone through so much and have been so resilient um, and that they have a lot to offer. Like, I think that sometimes people may, and, you know, there's misconceptions about all groups, but, you know, they may have misconceptions, but um, some of the brightest minds that I've ever seen in math and science have come, and technology even. Um, I went and visited a school recently, and one of my students was there, former students, and, you know, I'm waving at her, and I asked her what her major was, and she said computer science. And I'm like, this is a little girl that lived in a migrant family. I think there's just misconceptions that these kids can't attain some of these um, levels or some of these careers that you just, you know, maybe people just don't realize. And um, I don't know just how, how amazing they are. Yeah. Um, we ask everyone the same question at the end of this podcast, and that is, what is it that you, Danny Higgins, think that you contribute that's special or unique, or what are you trying to give every day to our district that's special to you? Um, it sounds really, I guess, I don't know. I just love. Like, I just feel like I think it's really important. I really love what I do. I really love the families that I serve. And so to me, it doesn't really feel like a job. And I think people notice that is that, you know, I want to build relationships with these families and I want to leave it better than when I came. Thank you so much for being here, Danny. I've really appreciated talking to you and I've learned a lot. I'm excited to talk to one of your students, Luce Vasquez, who's going to Michigan. Michigan State. Michigan State. All right. Thank you so much again. Luz Vasquez, thank you so much for being here. We just heard from Danny Higgins, who heads the Migrant Student Program here at Polk County Public Schools. And we asked her to bring with her a student who kind of represented um, the, the students that she works with every day and what they're capable of achieving when they have supports in place. And she picked you, Luz, so thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and being willing to share your story. So, um, you know, big reason why we wanted to have Danny on the show was just to help people understand more about the migrant student population and, and learn about um, about what their day-to-day -day life is and the challenges they face and the greatness they're achieving and even despite it. So just kind of tell us your life story briefly. You're a student at Mulberry High going to Michigan State, but tell us about like what it's like to be a migrant student from your perspective. All right. So well, I mean, the whole my whole life I've been a migrant student, and I've been considered a migrant student. Um, and basically, I started actually seeing my parents come home, like, late nights. And I didn't, like, at school when I was, like, as a child, like, elementary, I was, like, oh, told, like, or asked, um, what do your parents do? And I was, like, oh, my parents pick strawberries. And I, I kind of got teased, but I was, like, I didn't see it as, a, as an issue. It didn't affect me as much. But I was just like, oh, what was the problem with it? But um, as I grew older, I began knowing like, oh, well, like why it was that? And I was like considered, I guess, like the poor kid or mm -hmm. just like, oh, I didn't have like nice stuff. I didn't, like I went to school with kind of like the same clothes every year and usually students would come back to school with yeah. um, new pairs of shoes, new book bags. And I'd be kind of jealous, but I'm like, I mean, I was like, oh, mine still works, so I used it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started actually picking, well, I was taken to the field as a younger child, like uh, around five, but I wasn't taken to pick. I was just there um, right beside my mom while she'd pick a side. And since she didn't have anyone to take care of me, she I just watched her pick the whole day. And so she said I really did cry a lot. Um, I'd be on top of a cooler while my older brother, which was around seven, 
he he pegged with my dad with like a mini bucket of blueberries and this was in Michigan and during like the summer I believe mm -hmm. and just growing up I was seeing like what my parents did and it was common for me just to go every year for the summer to travel to Michigan this is like Michigan would always be our one place to go for the summer to pick um, blueberries and then apples and then sometimes cherry and peaches. What does that work like for someone who's, tell me, at some point, you know, you started out with just going to the field and accompanying your mom, but how old were you when you started actually picking and just help me understand what that day is like day after day? <laughs> actually, it all started right on my birthday. I had, my mom had taken me to um, apply at Michigan at this blueberry company. And at first I was like, I was kind of excited kind of get my own check. But then I saw it like that afternoon, I got my like ID and stuff like, and that's when I was like, okay, my mom was like, okay, now you're going to start working with us. And how old were you? 14. 14. Okay. And at age 14, the next day, um, I automatically woke up in the morning. My mom had me like cook um, tortillas and then basically our lunch and stuff while my parents were still like kind of packing up our supplies or buckets or carts. Um, and we'd get everything while me and my mom, my mom cooked and I was kind of just like kind of packing up, foiling up food. And right when we get to work, it was like automatically, we just kind of, um, I picked with my mom. We were all in like one branch, like one tree, blueberry tree, one side of my mom and the other side's me. And we just kind of go around it. And that was basically the whole day from early mornings to day and nights. And I went home to my little brother and sister who were just taking care of each other. And, or and sometimes they would like just kind of ask us like uh, since they didn't know how to cook we'd come home to um, well we'd eat around 10 since we had to cook for our whole family and living at a trailer camp we were supposed we were we had to um, live with another family to pay rent mm -hmm. and just coming home but usually just growing up that was just during the summers but when I came back here in Florida um, I came here and I started picking strawberries, which is now it was now it was four of us, including me. Since I was already old enough, I got my ID again, and I started picking my mom on the weekends and sometimes on the afternoons. Since we lived at a trailer camp where the fields were right outside our our doorstep, um, I'd come home. I'd call my mom, tell her, "Oh, I'm here already," just to not make her worry, and. Sometimes I'd offer her and be like, oh, would you like to, like, get, like, would you like me to take you, like, a jug of water or make any water that you need me, or any chore that you need me to do? And, yeah, sometimes you said, yeah, it's really hot. Can you bring me a soda or can you bring me, like, agua de melon, which is water, um, melon water? So I'd go out and then there, there was, like, it was just, like, our trailer camp was, like, kind of, like, all, like, around, surrounded with um, acres of strawberries. Mm -hmm. And so I'd go... Um, walking into the fields, looking for like the trucks. Um, I, I just seeing the trucks, I know where my mom would go. So I'd go into the fields and look, like ask like, oh, is my mom here? If not, I'd kind of stand in the corner and uh, offer my mom some water. And I'd look for my dad then and offer him water while he worked. And then she would send me back home just saying, oh, just kind of broom and watch your brother and sister. And they'd come around seven or eight um, afternoons. And then just... Um, That'd be my usual, like, how I usually went. And this is, like, still in middle school. But then just moving here um, in Polk County, um, um, I started working, well, I started working more consistently with my brother. And 
Stra strawberry was the main thing I kind of did, but I know my brother had picked with my parents, like during the pickle season, the sea, uh, pickles, cucumbers, and squash. Mm -hmm. And just last year, I actually picked um, squash with my parents. Oh, okay. I don't know. Sorry. I already kind of skipped like a. Sorry. It's okay. Um, you, um, how did you. There are students who find um, graduation and going to college a daunting proposition with circumstances that don't come near the ones that you have faced. You know, I mean, you're working long, long days. You're physically exhausted. You're sharing um, housing with another family, at least at, at some point in your life. And you had all – you had many reasons you could have said – why why put anything more on me? Why why bother? Why work harder? Why have you committed yourself? Like what was it that made you say, I'm gonna get my diploma and I'm gonna go to college one day? And like how did you hang on to that? Oh, uh, well, actually just kind of going out to the weekends. I didn't really like the job. I, like I didn't like coming in the weekend, going to work. Um, early mornings and then just kind of realizing that oh my weekends I spend kind of just picking in like dirt mud and I it was kind of gross it was gross it grossed me at one point but then I realized I just I kind of just browse and think um, and I look at my brother sometimes and we kind of talk they're like oh um, we don't really want this like like if you realize that there's many other people our age probably like having like uh, late like going to the park or going um, just enjoying their day mm -hmm. not not in the fields and we get kind of like oh kind of down we put ourselves down but then we kind of told ourselves like oh but we're doing this offer our mom and dad because they did this offer us so so one day we'll pay them back mm -hmm. for what they have done and so just going out to the fields and just kind of looking at each other very tirelessly um I'd kind of just be like, oh, this is really not what we don't want to, like, we don't want to do this when we grow up. So our goal for, like, each other uh, was to not do this. And we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to do this, like mm -hmm. my parents. Did. So our goal was just to. Education is how you yes, won't do this anymore. Yes. You'll break that. How, so your parents are migrant workers. Were there, was this sort of a family, something that was passed down? Or is it, does it not work that way? Like. Oh. As your how I have no idea. What, oh, um, actually, my grandparents um, they're in Mexico, um, so they never came to America, okay. and they've never picked or anything. They kind of had their own um, farm animals, cows. Oh, okay, all right. But my own parents kind of met up as when they were younger, around their nineteen or twenties, mm -hmm. and um, they both found each other. And my dad brought my mom mm -hmm. um, here to the America. And, mm -hmm. Um, that's when um, they they started working because they didn't really know anything. They kind of started working as like in hay packing hay, mm -hmm. but then they worked here down um, down here more in um, Dover area, mm -hmm. and that's when they started working um, on strawberries. But it's kind of they started in so I I, I know I don't want my mm -hmm. family to start it one day. So mm -hmm. that's not just like. So did your parents impress upon you like? we're here, we came to America, we're working this hard because we want you, I mean, is that 
what the narrative has been. Yeah, like. they, they tell us. I know my mom tells me that um, you see us doing this work. She tells my little brother. She reminds us every day that, oh, I'm working hard here, I'm taking plastic off. And I see her done it because I know I don't like doing it. And it's hard. And so she comes home telling us, like, oh, um, I hope you're doing good in school. She texts my little brother out. And she she looks at me, and I tell her I'm doing good. And some she does give me time to um, do my homework and stuff like that. But she reminds us every day that she's doing this for us. So in y'all, and in, in you and your brother getting an education, and, yes. and you're doing that for each other, but also for your parents. I mean, yeah. this is what they dreamed of when they came here and why they've worked so hard so that you guys could have this opportunity, right? So yes. this is a tribute. to. So the fact that you're going to Michigan State and you're going to get a degree in political science, you, you think? Yes. That's a tribute to your parents and the fact that they long ago set this in action, this course for you, right? Yeah. Um, well, so tell us about your plans. You're going to go to what is, What's the ultimate goal? What do you, what do you want to achieve after you go to Michigan State? Uh, my ultimate goal is actually to... Uh, Okay, so, okay, I'll be majoring in political science, and I want to go into policy to create, because I, I know most of the time, like, there's not really a change in, um, in like, upper level, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that if I work in policy and move my, work my way up to, like, to become, like, a legislative one day, maybe, mm-hmm. um, I know there will be change, because I know the, coming from a background of migrant, I know what it's, it's hard and like we need assistance since I know like I have other family that that have like no other older brother and usually it's always the older brother or, or older sibling who kind of um, goes and their younger sibling kind of follow up to and like like my older brother luckily he kind of inspired me to graduate and go to Michigan State with him okay. and um, I uh, what um when you are in a position one day to help shape policy related to migrant workers, what will you change? Um, oh, I want to change the, like, well, I want to create awareness to um, the community, uh, migrant community, actually. And just, like, seeing out, like, right where my uh, my community right now, there's many, um, like, homes that are not worth living in mm-hmm. and expensive, too. And I see, like, the destruction it has and, Honestly, it's not it's not right. I don't see it as a right thing. And I know that back then, uh, maybe rent for my family was kind of cheaper. But moving here to Polk County and um, seeing the different communities um, where I live in mm-hmm. and the different families actually have family living in there. Um, it's not it's not right. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. And it kind of makes me sad because I have younger um, cousins that live there and they mm-hmm. kind of. Um, well, luckily, like while, when I was younger, my older brother and I and my parents, we worked hard to get to gather money and um, buy our own homes, buy our own home. So now just seeing my cousins, when we invite them over, they kind of want to stay with us because they know it's they don't really want to go back to mm-hmm. their home. It's it's just it, it's not a home to them. Gotcha. Um, I'm curious about high school middle school, all levels of school. They're very hard socially for many of us. I was a complete, you know, nerd in school. But, I mean, and I had just sort of your mundane issues. And you alluded to this earlier when you, um, you know, you didn't have the nicest things. And you were worried about how that would uh, be 
uh, how that would affect your your day-to-day life in school. I wondered, do you feel that you've been able to educate your classmates? Do you think they have a better idea of of what it's like to be a migrant student because of you? Or have they learned anything from you? Or have you tried to teach them anything? Well, uh, many have um, actually are inspired by me, kind of. And they kind of look up to me, which I kind of like it because I'm like, oh, I guess I'm a leader to them, which I don't really consider myself to be a leader. Like, I was kind of like the shy one. And I'm still, I still am, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, just going out, um, actually, I didn't start volunteering until my, like, ninth grade or uh coming up ninth grade year and it was kind of it was barely my second second year here at Polk County and I didn't know Miss Annie Higgins but my brother had introduced me to her because he was going to be a, an upcoming senior mm-hmm. at that time and my first time was actually during when Hurricane Irma hit uh, my brother was like oh do you want to start volunteering and I had no clue what it was about um, or like what was the point but um, until my brother said like, oh it's going to benefit you so I'm like okay I'll do it mm-hmm. and so just um, seeing out I didn't know my area yet mm-hmm. so just going out to the camps right beside my beside where I live um, I know we packed like um, packs of um, water and Gatorade and I know the power went out at my home so um, mm-hmm. Ms. Annie Higgins had stopped by and gave us like um a cooler of ice and like milk and water just for the for that um, week I think when the there was no electricity mm-hmm. but during that time that's when I met Ms. Danny Higgins and I met um, many of the seniors I met Brenda mm-hmm. I met uh, many of my brother's friends actually mm-hmm. and they all kind of I'm they're like oh she's in fresh she's gonna be an upcoming freshman and I I was like yeah I was like okay and um, I was the only freshman at that time and just going out to the camps um, I had made, had started doing my hours there, but then mm-hmm. going to um, once I st- once school began, um, I started going out to uh, the group meetings, and I was like, okay. And then I met the president of a of a of Adelante club, and that's when I started like oh volunteering with Ms. Annie Higgins, like after school, going out to camps, packing stuff um, at the middle school and just doing packages of food. And since I didn't know how to drive, we just kind of packed while the older kids would go out to the um, trailer camps and deliver door to door. And then once I started 10th grade year, I did involve myself in like, um, I did try out soccer, chess, um, and then I still had time to do volunteering service with Mazzini. And by that time, I. I did gain like 200 hours mm-hmm. with Ms. Danny and volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club. And then after that, um, oh, we also did um, the holidays. During the holidays, Ms. Danny, that's, uh, those are actually my favorite part of the time. Mm-hmm. Ms. Danny Higgins had invited us to uh, do like, pack. oh, we would pack some um, presents for the kids at the trailer camps. And all of the all, all of our team members would just kind of get a roll of wrapping paper. We wrap presents, and then by Christmas Eve, we would kind of go out to churches and like get like pack our own vehicles with mm-hmm. gifts and stuff, and then go out to the community and pass out the their gifts to the parents, and for the next day, so that the children can actually. So you've um, done a lot of work to support your fellow migrant students, and I'm sure in doing that, you've helped them believe in themselves and their ability to achieve. And then you've set an example even for the non-migrant students that 
you can make a difference in people's lives and really impact them and help them um, chart a better course for themselves. That's really inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess just real quickly, um, Danny told us a little bit about what the migrant program does, but if you had to identify a support that if you had to pick one thing or, or um, service it provided that you could could focus on, just tell us what to help us understand the impact of that program. Just focus on one aspect, something that it did for you that made a difference. Can you repeat that again? Just in, in all the services that you've received from Danny and the Migrant Program, could you focus on one and explain the impact it had on your life? Oh, okay. Um, well, just kind of uh, volunteering with Adelante Club, the like contribution of um, like having time to pack, like after school, like may- many had asked me, like, oh, what do you do after school? But Packing food to the to the children at the camps was actually one big thing that really impacted myself because I know at one point I I know I didn't have food but I know my cousins that live there and they just kind of packing food constantly like every day after school even though many people didn't show up mm-hmm. I still had time and I I kind of enjoyed it because I know. We, we're making a difference mm-hmm. and we're providing stuff that many like don't ask for because some just some parents don't know how to ask like they're afraid to ask and many struggle and seeing my own family and my uncles and aunts like they tell me like hey you know um, they do thank me at one point they think Miss Danny and just kind of I just like, kind of enjoy um so the chance to be empowered and to help others is really yeah, and and that would you say that's kind of shaped your your you now want to go into policy and make oh yes. change the law to help people. I mean, is that does that does, do your experiences in high school and helping these people on a one on one basis? Has that inspired maybe the plan you have for your life? Yes, this is yeah. and I, Ms. Annie Higgins. I've re- I'm really thankful for her mm-hmm. meeting her because I've never had anyone like that, and mm-hmm. just and because of her, I really do believe that this like I'm really having the opportunity to go to college next year. Well, this coming up fall. So gotcha. I'm just really grateful for Ms. Annie. Congratulations, Luce. Thank you, you are you're an inspiration and a, a shining example of what is possible with a Polk County Public Schools education. So thank you for coming and talking to us. I've learned a lot about you and your life and the lives of other migrant students. Thank you. Did you change careers to become a teacher, para, or bus driver? Do you remember the moment when you knew a career in education was right for you? Are you a PCPS alumnus who remembers the teacher who made you believe you were capable of great things? Are you a student who is already putting your K-12 education to work in our community? We all have a story to tell, and those stories are part of what makes PCPS great. Tell us yours. To be a guest or to nominate someone you know to be featured on The People of PCPS, fill out the form posted online at polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the People of PCPS podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Or watch online at the Polk County Public Schools YouTube channel. To learn more about the People of PCPS and other Polk County Public Schools podcasts, visit polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcasts.